Let us turn now to the chapter we read, the book of Revelation, the last chapter, verse 17. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will. Let him take the water of life freely. It is significant, I think, that the Bible opens and closes with a description of two paradises. At the beginning of the Bible we have a description of the paradise in which God placed Adam. And at the end of the Bible we have a glimpse of the paradise in which Christ reigns as our mediator and to which all those who love the Lord are going. It would be true to say that no one here tonight will enter the paradise that God prepared for Adam. Adam by his sin defiled it. But it is equally true to say that there are some people here who will enter into the paradise of God above, where Christ reigns, as we see here, as a lamb sitting on the throne of God. And as you know, this book gives us glimpses of the paradise above, glimpses of heaven. We don't know all that much about heaven really, but this book fills in many of the gaps for us. And uh, it tells us that our Lord is going to come from that place to this earth one day to judge the world. He is going to come in the glory of his person, in the glory of his holy angels, and he's going to gather his people to himself and lead them to paradise himself. And the thought or the prospect of the coming of our Lord is one which is very dear and very close to the hearts of all those who love the Lord. As a matter of fact, one of the definitions that we have in the Bible of a Christian is a person who looks for, longs for, waits for, and works for the coming of his Lord again. And when the Lord Jesus here, who gave this revelation to John in the Isle of Patmos, when he told John that he was going to come, John responds immediately, Ye come, Lord Jesus. And there is no doubt that the come, certainly the come at the beginning of the text, of our text here, there is no doubt 
especially in the light of the context, that it is a reference to or a response from some to the prospect of that coming. The Lord has just said, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, and so on. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And the him that hear it say, Come. We know that the coming of the Lord is something which is very dear to the heart, for example, of the Holy Spirit. And in the light of what the Bible tells about the Spirit's ministry, that is quite understandable. Because one great function of the Holy Spirit is, as Jesus himself said, He shall receive of mine and show them to you and thereby glorify me. This is the function of the Spirit. This is what the Spirit delights in. Showing, revealing the glory of Christ as Saviour to men and women, to boys and girls. This is what happens in every single case of conversion. Every single one of them. However clear the manifestation and the revelation may be to the convert, what happens is this. The Holy Spirit lifts the veil of unbelief from off blinded minds and gives a glimpse of the glory of Christ and makes that Christ desirable to that individual above all else desirable that from that moment on that person seeks the Lord and seeks more of the Lord. When, the, when Jesus here tells John that he's going to come again the Spirit responds in this way they come Lord Jesus the Spirit says come because if, it, if the Spirit of God delights as he does in revealing the glory of Christ in this world to converts let us remember this that even though even though the revelation you have got of the glory of Christ may be quite clear to your mind and quite wonderful in experience remember this you yet see but through a glass darkly but then, when the Lord will come in all his glory, look at the delight that the Holy Spirit is going to have then in revealed in a more glorious way the glory of that coming Lord to those who are the Lord's. And then, of course, they themselves are referred to here in responding to this uh, prediction that he's going to come again, the bride says come now we all know who the bride is the bible speaks frequently of the church of christ or the people of god the believers in the world as being the bride of christ and you know how uh, the bride rejoices at the prospect of our bridegroom's coming the prospect of the day when they will be together in that wonderful union how she, react, how she responds, how she looks forward to that day. And this is the picture I spoke of earlier. This is how the Bible presents the church of God to us in the world. There are people who look forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus. I'm sure that every Christian here tonight would agree uh, that uh, if they had their wish, 
that uh, they would rather see the coming of the Lord physically, literally. They would rather be eyewitnesses of his coming. I think that they would prefer that to even having the assurance that they do have in their heart that if they die before he comes, their souls will be with the Lord in glory. Because every time you speak, you see of the the longing, for example, of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, the longing that he had for the Lord's presence in heaven was a, a longing for his, for, for, for his whole person to be there with the Lord, body, soul, and body. In any case, the thought of our Lord's coming is something that the bride of the Lord rejoices in. Those who love him look forward to his coming. They long for his coming. They would love to see his coming. And they say in response to, the, to his promise that he's going to come, they respond, come. And so do they who hear. Perhaps another description of those who are the Lord's. Let him that heareth say, come. Now, this is a word which speaks to us of the hearing of faith. You see, everyone in this church tonight has heard, or I'm sure has heard, or hears the gospel. But there are many people in this church tonight, nevertheless, of whom this is true, that their ears have not been opened to the gospel. They don't have what we refer to as the hearing of faith. They don't love what they hear. Perhaps they don't love the way it is said to you. But that doesn't mean at all that you love what he said to you. Even in Ezekiel's day, there were people who loved to hear Ezekiel. They thought that his, his voice was a it made a pleasant sound. And he presented a thing well. And you know that there are preachers that, you, that people like to hear because they present the thing well. We're all like that. We, we like to hear people who, who tell us things well. But you see, though, you might like to hear a thing the way he just said to you. That doesn't mean that you like the thing itself that is said to you. And that is why the majority of people in a church like this tonight are probably unbelievers. Hearing, but not hearing with the ear of faith. The world hasn't penetrated through to the faculties of the soul so that in the hand of the spirit it has influenced and changed and is molding their lives according to the way that the Lord would have them live. Those who love the Lord are those who have heard his voice. And you know that there's a description given, as a picture given in Psalm 45, of the king speaking to his bride and saying, Hearken, incline your ear, listen carefully to what I'm going to say to you. And that's the way in which the people of God, that's the way in which they, that's the act that they adopt the word of God and to the Lord himself. I'm sure that coming to a service like this, every Christian would love the Lord to speak to his heart and to her heart in power. And they say with Samuel of old, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. No those who have the ear, who have an ear for the Lord and for his word, look forward to the day when he is going to come. Now, there is no doubt. In other words, at the beginning of this verse refers to the coming of the Lord. At the same time, I don't think there is any doubt that the second part of the verse 
refers to the theme that we've been having for the past five weeks, the call of the invitation of God in the gospel. Let him that is a first come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Now there is, there can be no doubt whatsoever about this, that the, here is an invitation from heaven to all those who are in this condition to come. Whosoever is at first and whosoever will, let him come. And I don't think I'll be doing any violence whatsoever to this text and certainly not to the whole word of God in the picture that it presents to us to bring this invitation now to bear upon the whole text and to accept it and to apply it in that way as a passage of the Bible that speaks to us or in which rather many are speaking to us to come to receive the waters of life. Now then, taking like that, let us very briefly tonight look at two or three things and I don't intend to keep you very long. First of all, the way in which the blessing of salvation is set before us here, the water of life. And then secondly, look at the source of this water. This is a river, the water of life, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And then look thirdly at those who are addressing the invitation to us, the Spirit and the Bride and him that heareth, say, come. Then look at those who are invited to come. And then finally look at the invitation itself. Very briefly, these thoughts. First of all, in the nature of the blessing, the water of life. Now then, you and I have a Bible in our hands tonight. And we have no problem whatsoever in understanding what these terms mean, the water of life. Because throughout the whole Bible, you get this term, these terms used as a, a, an emblem of the blessing of God in salvation. All that God is able to bestow by way of blessing in salvation is brought before us here by these terms, the water of life. All the love of God, the faithfulness of God, the grace of God, the peace of God, the joy of the Lord, the blessing of the Holy Spirit of God in the heart of the individual, all the blessings of the covenant of grace, Free, free, and plentiful. All these things are suggested to us by this emblem, the water of life. It speaks to us of the abundance of the blessing, the freeness of the blessing, the perpetual nature of the blessing. God is always available in the blessing of his grace. Now then, to these, to that blessing, this, uh, to that blessing, we are invited to come, come, and to let him take the water of life freely. Now notice the source from which this blessing proceeds. I don't want to uh, elaborate this point because we've been dealing with this for the past uh, five Sabbath evenings, and I don't want to bore you with a repetition of the same theme: the water of life the blessing of salvation in the gospel. Notice secondly the source of this blessing. It proceeds from the 
throne of God and of the Lamb. Now you and I know that there is no throne, as you and I understand, a throne in heaven. No literal throne, in other words, in heaven. This language that the Bible speaks of to, to convey to us is something that we will find more easy to understand. And the idea of the throne really is the idea of sovereignty, supremacy, and power. The place on which the king sits and from which the king dispenses, the sovereign dispenses blessings. Now, this blessing of salvation flows from the God of power, the God of authority, and notice the Lamb of power and the Lamb of authority, because it is the throne of God and of the Lamb. You may say this, here is a place or here is an authority, a power that is shared between two people. Both of them have the same power and the same authority because they are seated on the same throne, the throne of God and of the Lamb. A single throne on which sit two persons, or a throne occupied by two persons. Now, this is important. If it wasn't important, the Bible wouldn't speak of it and emphasize it like this. We know, for example, that Jesus Christ is, as the Bible tells us tonight, enthroned at the right hand of God the Father. Now, this is not the way the New Testament speaks to us of the sufferings and the exaltation of Jesus. He came into this world, we all know that, to suffer and to die for sinners. But this is something else the Bible tells us, that when he suffered, after he suffered and died and rose again from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of God, where he sits, where he sits at God's right hand. And the very word, the very verb that suggests to you that, that here is a person who has completed the work that was given him to do when you come home after a day's work. One of the first things you do is you sit. The idea there is that you've completed the work and you can rest. Well, here is one who is presented to us as the lamb in the midst of the throne. One who has completed the work that God gave him to do. And from whom, therefore, there flows these blessings of salvation. One who by his death has opened for a lost world rivers of pleasure, rivers of the blessing of God, rivers of the salvation of God, and proceeding from that throne, from God the Father and God the Son, are the blessings of the covenant of grace purchased for us by our Lord. And when he ascended on high, remember what he said to the disciples in Jerusalem, wait, he says, in Jerusalem, till you be endued with power from on high. 
For when I go to my Father, I will send the Holy Spirit. And remember, the whole day of Pentecost is a record of the fulfillment of that promise that came forth from God in mighty blessing and power. The Holy Spirit of God proceeding from the Father and from the Son, provided by God, procured by the Son, by his own death and confirmed to the church by his exaltation to the right hand of God where he sat having completed the work. This is a blessing, or these rather, to be more accurate, are blessings which flow from them in heaven above to this last world tonight and direct from the throne of God on high and this is the wonder of his grace direct from the throne of God on high right into your possession tonight my friend flows rumors of the blessing of God and as they flow towards you there are some who are saying this to you the spirit and the bride say come and let him that heareth say come and let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will let him come and take of the water of life it comes to you in the gospel and as it comes there are some who are inviting you to partake of the blessing and that leads us to the third point who are they who ask you to partake of the blessing well first of all the spirit tells you to come now <clears throat> this of course is the holy spirit the great question that arises here is this how does the holy spirit tell you to take the blessing of salvation well let me try and explain it to you. See that Bible you have in your hand, perhaps placed in your pew, in, your, in the, right, the pew rest there in front of you. See that Bible? Who gave it to you? Perhaps a brother or a girl here may say, not, oh, well, my mum or my dad gave it to me. I know. But where did it come from originally? That is the only book in this world of which you can say that it is God's book. He is the author of that book. And the authorship of the Bible is attributed by the Bible itself to the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of Truth. He guided and directed people through the ages. He directed them to write God's word, God's mind. He inspired the New Testament tells us, holy man of God in ages past, to commit to writing what God was infallibly telling them to write. And you have that record in your hand tonight. That's the Spirit's product in your possession. And what's the Spirit saying to you in the Bible? He's saying to you, take the water of life freely. He's speaking to you. Every time you open that book, the Spirit of God is speaking to you. And you may say, I've never heard the Spirit of God speaking to me. The fault for that, my friend, lies with you. 
the Spirit is speaking, but maybe you haven't any ear for what he's saying to you. And just in case these may be the very words by which you will open your ears, let me remind you again of what he says. He says to you tonight in that book, Come and take the water of life freely. That's what the Spirit is saying to you through his word. But that's not the only way in which the Spirit has spoken to you along life's way. I would be very surprised if it were. There are some of you tonight here who have heard the voice of the Spirit of God in your lives on more than one occasion, speaking powerfully to you. I don't know how you responded to it. Perhaps in a time of affliction in your own life, time of trial in your family, time of bereavement, when death crossed your own threshold time of some crisis in your life that you couldn't cope with God was speaking to you perhaps you turned a deaf ear to what God was saying perhaps you closed your ear deliberately to what he was saying oh there are some people do that there are some people do it I knew a boy once who sat through every sermon he ever heard with his fingers in his ears literally so that he wouldn't hear what was being said to him there are people who do that. And there are people who do that to the way to, to, to the Spirit of God when He speaks to them in their providence. They don't submit. They, they, they sort of they harden their attitude to the things of God and perhaps they turn against the things of God when He speaks. Well, the fact of the matter is that God the Spirit is speaking to you then. And He's still speaking to you now. And this is the wonder of His grace. And the wonder of his mercy that he didn't turn away from you. He still speaks to you. And he says to you, you come and take the water of life freely. These are only two of the ways in which the Spirit of God speaks. By his word when you read it. And by his providence in your life. And probably speaking to you as well tonight in some way or other. Known only to yourself. And he's saying to you. To come. And then there is someone else here who speaks. The bride. That is the church of God. Now it has been said that. And I think it was Robbie Duncan who put it like this. The spirit speaks he says. But not apart from the bride. And the bride cannot say come apart from the spirit. It's the spirit and the bride. Or the spirit and the church. The spirit and the Christian. The spirit and the believer. The spirit and those who are born again. The spirit and those who love the Lord. All those who love the Lord are saying to you tonight. Come and take the water of life free. Now you may say that there are some Christians that you know of. Who have never ever said to you to come to Christ. Well that may be the case my friend. But I wouldn't be surprised. If these very Christians are wishing in their heart and praying in their soul that you would come to Christ. It's not easy for every Christian to speak to the non-Christian. And perhaps, if it's any comfort to you as a young Christian here tonight, perhaps the people that you find it most difficult of all to speak to are the people that you love most. The people who are closest to you, your own kith and kin, your own family. Perhaps you would love them to come to Christ as you came, but you haven't got the courage, the confidence, the strength to speak to them. 
Well, let me say this to you. Even if you can't say it with your lips, see that you say it to them with your life. Because the way you live can be a powerful testimony in the presence of those who aren't Christians. And very often, very often, people rebel against the consistent testimony of those who are with them. They feel it. And like Paul of all, they begin to kick against the picks. Well, those people by their witness, by their war, by their testimony, are saying to you tonight, come. And I'm, I'm positive that you know of people whose lives are saying that to you tonight. You come. They're saying it in their prayers, in their witness, in their words, in their conduct. There are some Christians who aren't with you any longer tonight. There used to be, there used to be eminent Christian people here. They're here no more. But being dead, they yet speak. What they said to you and what they were, I'm sure still bears a powerful testimony to your heart and to your conscience and to your will. You can't forget what they were, and you can't forget what they said. Those who are with you are saying it, and they're telling you to come. And there is also this thirdly, those who have heard, let him that heareth say, come. I've spoken of this already, but just to mention it in the passage. The person whose ear has been opened to God in the gospel, the person who delights in the world, of the Lord, the person who thirsts for more knowledge of God, the person who is saying to Christ, come to me, the person who has received the Lord and who has heard his voice will say, oh, let me hear thy, the voice of thy loving kindness in the morning. The person who says that to the Lord is also saying it to you, you come, that you may hear what I've heard. Remember what the Queen of Sheba said about the glory of Solomon. The half of it, she said, had not been told me. And she would want others to come and she would no she would go and tell others about the glory of this King. So it is with those who have heard the Lord. They have heard words, the likes of which they had never heard before. And they would love you to come and hear them as well. Well, the Spirit says come. The Bride says come. And all those who have heard the gospel in faith are saying to you tonight to come. And now, fourthly, I'm nearly finished. Who is it that they're saying this to? Let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him come. Now, I'm not going to spend any time whatsoever on this term. Him that is a thirst. We've dealt with it twice already in the past five weeks. Just remind ourselves of this, that this is something that the word that always speaks to us in the New Testament, in the Bible, of a condition of want. A condition of want or a state of need. Now then, what is it that we want or need? What is that we need? Well, of course, the unconverted needs grace. Needs Christ, needs God, needs the Holy Spirit, needs the blessing of salvation. 
And the unconverted person is tonight in a state of destitution spiritually. He has nothing. He's without God and without hope in the world. And in that graceless state that comes to him, the call from the realm of grace, come to the water of life. Come out of that state of destitution and come into a condition in which your need will be met. And once you're in that state, you will never leave it. Remember, that's what we said last week, the Lord meant when he said to the men of Samaria, whosoever will think of the water that thou given shall never thirst. The person who receives Christ is brought out of a state of gracelessness into a state of grace from a godless existence to a life in which God is at the center of his life, from a Christless state to the state in which Christ is a saviour and will therefore never return to a graceless condition. Well then, the invitation is to you, come. It is also, as we saw, an invitation to all those who are thirsting for the Lord. The answer to your problem, as we said last week, and to mine, is to have more and more and more and more of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where the power for your life and mine is to be found. Not in any sect or in any new fashion of teaching, however attractive it may be. Nothing is going to meet the need of your heart but the Lord. And the Lord in all his fullness is adequate to meet every need of your soul. And if you search tonight, for more of the blessing of the Lord, more of his presence and of his favor. This is where you're going to get it in himself, from, from himself and with himself, in the water of life. Well, the invitation is to all such to come and drink. Then there is this, whosoever will, let him come. Now, I'm almost tempted to say that in our setup, this kind of text or this, this, these words, whosoever will, becomes a dangerous combination. Because there are some people who are of the mistaken impression and opinion that you should never speak about the will of a person with a matter when it comes to applying the gospel. In other words, that the invitation of the gospel should never be addressed to the will of the individual. Well, we thank God that he addresses the invitation to our will. Whosoever wills, let him come. Whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. This is what some people refer to as, the, as a text which speaks of the gospel for any man. You see, my friend, no man or woman, no boy or girl is excluded from the invitation of the gospel. Whosoever will may come tonight to Christ. You let that be embedded firmly in your mind that the only thing that's 
stands between you tonight and the salvation of your soul is your own unwillingness to be saved. There is nothing, and I repeat it, there is nothing in this world that stands between you right now and salvation but your unwillingness to be saved. And I challenge you to prove me wrong. That's the only thing that keeps a man from coming to Christ. A woman, a boy or a girl from coming. It was Jesus himself who said that he would save them, but they would not come to be saved. Whosoever will. Some people may wonder about what I said earlier. Nothing keeps from being saved but your unwillingness to be saved. <clears throat> well, it was Dr. Kennedy who was in Dingwall. To put it like this, nothing but his unwillingness ever interposes between man and salvation. And you know there are some people who will accept it just because a man like Dr. Kennedy said it. Well, he said it. And of course what he was saying was but the truth. Whosoever will is invited tonight to come to salvation. It doesn't matter what you feel. It doesn't matter your sense of unworthiness or unfitness. It doesn't matter you don't understand these things that you may be confused. It doesn't matter that you may be a great sinner or that you may not be all that aware of your sin. It doesn't matter that you don't have the experience that you've heard that other people have had. It doesn't matter that you're that, you, that you're young or that you're old or middle-aged. It doesn't matter your sense of uncleanness or your sense of unfitness. It doesn't matter that you don't feel changed or that you don't feel different. That's not the point. The point is, are they willing to be saved? Whosoever will, let him come. Want to come? Well, my friend, let nothing stand between you and coming, because this is what he goes on to say. Let him take the water of life freely. Let him. Let him. Here is the voice of God from heaven, the voice of the Spirit speaking through the church, saying. To every sinner who has been made willing to be saved, let nothing stand between you and salvation. It's as though you are told now to push your way through the things that stand between you and the salvation. These difficulties that you're talking about, the problems that you've got, I know that they're crowding in on you. Well, push them away, push them out of the way, and come. Let them come. Take the water of life freely. This is what we were speaking of last week about the act of faith. The moment of the soul Godward. You've got to come. 
cared what the gospel offers you. It offers you God, it offers you Christ and all the blessings of salvation. It offers you all these things and it presents it to you again tonight. And he says to you, take it, take it. And the question is addressed to you now at the close of the service is this. Are you going to avail yourself of the blessings that come within your reach? Are you willing to come and are you willing to receive what he puts within your grasp? Will you stretch forth your hand like the man who had the withered hand and act in obedience to his will as a person who claims as you claim to be willing notwithstanding the fact that you feel so unlike a saved person that you feel so unlike every Christian you've ever come across that you feel so destitute and so empty notwithstanding all these things are you willing to come whosoever wills and as you leave this church tonight, I say this to you, and I close with this. As you leave, and if you leave, and God forbid that you will leave like this, but if you leave tonight in an unconverted state, you carry this away with you and turn it over in your mind. I remain unconverted because I am unwilling to receive salvation. Let us pray. Oh, may the Lord bless us by applying thy truth to our hearts, making us in a day of thy power a willing people. Lord God, do thou, do thou incline our hearts and our minds and our wills into a spirit of obedience to thy call. Bless the gospel and our experience again tonight. Forgive our sins and holy things. And part us now with thy blessing. And the praise shall be thine forever in Christ. Amen. <clears throat>